Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. All right. Hello, everyone. We are doing a little Patreon Q&A for Forgive Me. I'm Adam Raymunda. I am the sound designer and host of the show. And then I've got Jack. Why don't you go ahead and intro yourself and then we'll pass things along. Sure. Sounds good. Hi, I'm Jack Marone. I am one of the co-creators and writers for Forgive Me. Bob. I'm Bob Raymonda. I am the other co-creator and writer for Forgive Me. How about Casey? Who are you, pal? Hey, everyone. Uh, This is Casey Callahan, the voice of Father Ben chiming in. And uh, back to you, Adam. Oh, look at that. Look at us. We're we're real pros over here. Seasoned (laughs) pros. Seasoned pros at this uh, roundtable format here. So we we collected some different questions from folks from Twitter and some from Patreon. And so the first one coming in is for Jack from our pal TH Ponders, uh, another lovely podcaster. Where did the idea for blending the seemingly dour subject of confession with the sitcom format? Where'd it come from? I mean, my Catholic upbringing, (laughs) I would say more than anything, is probably where it came from. But it's funny. I mean, thinking about this question, which is a great one, is I don't really think of confession as dour. I think of it as deeply weird, uh, for sure. (laughs) But I just remember sitting on the subway during a time when Bob and I were working together at this company in Brooklyn and having the thought that confession is such a funny context for storytelling and it would really make for, I don't know, a good piece of content. I'm not even sure if initially I'd thought of it in the audio format, but I, it played so well into that format, but I, I just, yeah, I, I know I'd thought about my Catholic upbringing a lot as I grew older and farther from it. And that there were so many like idiosyncrasies and funny moments that would come out of like my youth in the church and they were just like worth the the people that you would encounter were worth talking about and there's really no better way to have people talk about themselves than make them confess stuff so yeah i mean i i just i remember having that thought and then throwing that thought at bob like in the middle of a work day on like a thursday one time years ago. I actually remember Bob telling me about the show idea maybe 2016. You know, we were making another podcast at the time, and Bob was like, this is the perfect setting for a podcast. And we may or may not have been with Josh Rubino at the time as well, which I th- I'm pretty sure that we were. We m- Maybe recording something for Breadcrumbs, right? 
we were working on breadcrumbs. We were at your old practice space in Yonkers at that big giant building. Mm-hmm. And we were just laughing over some dumb stuff we had done and trying to brainstorm, like, what's the way that we can take this really fun thing that we're doing with Josh in these little bite-sized five to ten minute pieces and come up with, like, a season-long show that we really wanted. And uh, the thing is, is that was at a time where it was it was after Jack had pitched the the idea and like at least a year or so later and we were sort of coming to it in a way where we were like paying attention to all the other podcasts going on in the space and and also really obsessed with Twin Peaks and so like the way we would have done it if we had done it without Jack was definitely a very different sort of show it would have been some like small town murder mystery the you know priest gets the confession of the killer sort of thing like it would have been a very different show and I'm really Maybe glad that we surreal. didn't make yeah. it <laughs> yeah I'm glad that we didn't make it because it didn't it didn't it never felt right to to do without you jack and so i just sort of kept it back burner in my mind because i knew that i loved it but didn't want to approach it until you know we could do it together yeah thanks bob thanks for doing that i feel i feel like this that this story is the one where it's like I don't know, like when you're engaged and people have ask you how you met a lot. Like I, I sort of feel like it's the story of our like this is our love story, the four of us that we. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah. It kind of is. Yeah. So we know that just from that answer that Jack has given confession, but we actually have uh, an another question from Ella Watts. Um, have any of the rest of us given confession before? I definitely have. Uh, I, you know, we grew up Catholic, but like less practicing than Jack did. We definitely went, you know, some Sundays, but not that regularly. We did go to church school growing up. So I remember doing it then. The the most uh, visceral confession experience that I remember is definitely story fodder that we used for the season, uh, but we aged up the, the memory. Um, when I was a kid, I stole a Garfield-shaped staple remover for my second grade teacher, Mrs. Watkins, and because my mom wouldn't buy it for her and I really wanted to give it to her. I promptly forgot that I had done it, did not give her the gift, and when I was crying over a lost Lego, my mom was trying to help me find it. She looked in my jacket pocket and she found that staple remover and she was furious. And again, our mother is not a Catholic person. She is not a believer. She just didn't know what to do with me. And she was mortified and she, mm-hmm. it was a pronged approach. She took me first to the pharmacy where I stole it from, made me hand it back to the cashier and apologized to them uh, verbally as a, you know, I was second grade. Was that eight, nine years old? And uh, then went straight to the church. And I, and I remember it being really weird too, because it was like, seven o'clock on a Wednesday and both of our parents were there, which was never a thing that happened because they were divorced. And also like all the lights were off in the church, except the lights in the very front. And the priest and I just sat in the last pew. We didn't go into the confession booth or anything, but I had to confess to him right there. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was, I, I will never forget that moment. And there were definitely a few other confessions in my life, but uh, that's that's the one that made it into the show, kind of. Imagine being that drugstore clerk or whoever it was, you know, that's like has to take that stapler back and is like, all right, kid, sure. Yeah, like this was really going to crush the business that I certainly do not run. Well, I mean, to be fair, that pharmacy did close not long after and was never open again. So I think that I wow. might have had something to do with it. I, I am responsible for the downfall of the farmhouse. The lessons of Margaret are true. <laughs> truly. Wow. Truly. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, quickly for me, I, I'll just say, listen to Code Blue. <laughs> yeah, autobiographical. Oh, just deeply, only a hair. Profoundly. <laughs> for myself, I recall doing it, but it was mainly for in preparation for confirmation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which was something that we had to do. Yeah, they really try to get all the sacraments out in one go. <laughs> they do. It's a combo deal. Yeah, I don't really have any specific memories for it, other than witnessing <laughs> the fact that Bob, like, I remember being toted around on that day that Bob had to confess. <laughs> Casey, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, I guess that makes me the odd man out. Uh, so as the one of the four of us with a non-Catholic upbringing, um, yeah, the Methodist faith was the uh, church that I attended growing up, uh, and confession not a part of that practice. I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, yeah, the closest I've ever come to giving confession would probably be when I was asked to reflect uh, in front of the congregation on my experience as a... Uh, so there's one surprisingly harrowing summer as a uh, Methodist summer camp counselor. Uh, an experience I was probably very ill-suited for, but still managed to turn into an interesting sermon of sorts about believing in oneself and being willing to, you know, take a chance and and throw yourself into the unknown and and have faith, shall we? Um, but yeah, that's that's the closest I've ever come to to confession, despite a, a father and a, the, my, the, my father's entire side of the family very much grew up Catholic, but he jumped ship, so to speak, to the, uh, our local Methodist church. And that was, that was my uh, religious upbringing. I'm, I'm going to keep in mind the religious summer camp thing and then try to fish ideas. Out well, of I, I have it. Trust me, <laughs> the amount of stories that came out of a single summer are, are pretty intense. So yeah, we will talk. Oh. shop. Jack Scott got go. big camp counselor energy. That was that was like the first thing you did after we graduated. Was went right to it was. being a camp counselor. I remember. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. Um. Well, Jack, we we actually have another question for you. Father Clem became a major part of Father Ben's story this year. Can you tell us a little bit about creating the character and why? it was so important that he be introduced into the show. Yeah, I, I love Father Clem so much. He it makes me very happy. Um, he, one, Clem is my grandmother's maiden name. I will tell you that. That's where that name comes from, uh, the German Clem family that I is part of my heritage. Um, there's a lot of, especially in the first season, a lot of little names that I almost put in as placeholders that became the names of characters that are just people in my life, um, which is very fun for me now. But um, uh, 
Clem, yeah, Clem was um, Marjorie Clem, um, my grandma, rest in peace. Uh, Margaret really, in a lot of ways, was based to some degree on my grandma, but Clem too. I, I really, you know, I think initially really wanted to make sure Clem stayed with the show, not knowing exactly that he would become like a nihilist goof case. I don't know what words to use to describe him necessarily. He's a wild, he's a little bit wilder than I think I ever initially imagined, but I really like, and this is really, I think the core of that first episode of the podcast, but I think is like true when you look at, our show in general, I really like the generational divide with how people experience religion and just the different ways in which people interact with those traditions. In particular, one of the things I really have found to be an interesting truth, not necessarily, it's obviously not universal, religion's different for everyone, but there are a lot of people from stories that I've heard um, and just talking to people. And I think that this transcends just Catholicism and is true in a lot of different religions, but people who are very devout, it being a little bit more about the structure of that devoutness than it necessarily is about like a strong belief in God even. And it's really more about the experience of being part of this tradition. And I really like Margaret and I, I kind of wanted Clem to to fill this role too of someone who could kind of map out these rules while maybe being a little bit more flippant about religion in general. And I also really like that he could can kind of be this like guide for Ben through this weird town, this nameless <laughs> screwball town that we put Ben into. But yeah, I, I know I felt very strongly about Clem being a part of the show from, from day one. I know Bob, I don't know if you wanted, I know you had other, other opinions. Well, I just, I wanted not to, to, not to put no, you No, I wanted to kill Clem. I, I wanted to kill Clem and I had a very like, yeah, I'm the dark one. I make everything depressing. That's the, you know, that's always the big joke in our your other brand. show too. That's my brand. <laughs> I write the sad I think episodes. You're the, heart. you're the heart, Bob. You're the heart I'm, of the I'm, show. I'm, I'm, I'm the sad Which boy you for bleed. sure. But uh, no, I, I had honestly a much more in my mind at the time, what I thought was like logical reasoning, because in my head it was like, you know, yeah, season one, we've got six episodes, but we, we could already feel going into making the show that there, were, there was a lot of legs to it. There were a lot of stories that we could tell in this world. And so my biggest concern with keeping Ben around or Clem around, I'm sorry, was in fact, keeping Ben around. Like why wouldn't, if Clem were to recover, why wouldn't Clem come back, take his congregation back and Ben go on his way. And of course the, the show could continue to exist, but we had such a core interest in this character of Ben that I wasn't sure how we would handle that. And again, like you said, you know, we did not plan for him to be this, this nihilist screwball Muppet that he became, but I will remember the thing that convinced me was you saying that an episode you had in mind, which is what turned out to be our season two finale, which is Ben in confession. It was so important to you from the very beginning before we had, we had written one script. That was it. Cause that was when I was trying to convince you that he should die. And uh, you said, no, like we need someone for Ben to confess to. We need someone for Ben to get guidance from. And that idea seemed so 
like just like rife with potential that I I was sold and I you know I backed off all my like we got to kill this guy energy and and we leaned into it. I'm so glad we have because he's one of my favorite characters to write now. It's just such a joy to write Clem and Ben together. The two of you have such good chemistry together. It's mm-hmm. it's infectious. So true. This episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you can get access to an ad-free version of this episode, as well as all of our other episodes. Also, we've got director's notes for each episode, music from the show, and more. Become a patron over at patreon.com slash roguedialogue. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've got another one for Jack from Ponders here. Uh, seeing that no one on the team is a member of the clergy, False. Uh, where have you drawn inspiration for the character of Ben? Mm-hmm. And I would actually say that like some of this could maybe be directed towards Casey as well, just like bringing that sort of sure. energy into the character um, once we've got the scripts to you, Casey. So first off, Bob and Adam are both ordained, not in the Catholic Church, but I do think it's important to note that we do have uh, members of the Universal Life Church uh, <laughs> who are both on this show, as well as my wife, who is also a member of the Mary, your friends want you to <laughs> marry them church. Um, mm-hmm. But that aside, I think, you know, one, Ben is a person who's uh, trying way too hard um, and trying to be a good person and failing a lot. And that is, um, I think, the identity of anybody <laughs> who was raised Catholic. I, I know it's, I, I definitely put a lot of myself in sort of his demeanor. I think when I think about like who he is interacting with people, there was a, I, I really filtered a lot of my personal anxiety into the role um, for sure. But I, I, I would say when it comes to, clergy without naming names i i did grow up as we've mentioned a few different times pretty in a pretty involved family when it came to the catholic church i went to the cathedral in rochester and at the time um it's not really that way anymore as much but it was a real it was for catholicism a really progressive diocese the diocese of rochester at the time and there were a handful of priests that i ended up spending a good amount of time with um in like a catholic youth context who remind me a lot of father ben in that they want to be like fully progressive people but are anchored by the regressive reductive and arguably evil organization that they participate in. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say, yeah, it's a mix of, I think the human elements, you know, my own lived experience, and then some of the more dogmatic parts of Ben's identity come from some priests that I, I knew growing up. Casey, I don't know about you. Um, I'm trying to 
figure out how to answer this question without revealing some <laughs> uncomfortable truths about me, and I don't think there's any way mm. about it. So you don't want to confess anything? Well, you know, not not with the public listening. Uh, if you've got a, a booth handy <laughs> and someone Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. actually ordained, I'll give it a shot. But um, <laughs> So, despite religion not being an enormous part of my life, I think there's still a bit of universality um in you know the the role of being a priest that i think is also very true about my personality and it's so as anyone who is the you know the leader of a a parish you know you are for all intents and purposes a conduit for the word of god and you know for us who aren't fortunate enough to be able to communicate with god themselves uh we have to rely on you know, what this person is saying. And uh, in order to succeed in that role, that person has to like really believe uh, that their interpretation of how God wants us to behave is, is sacrosanct. Like they have to believe that what they're saying is how people should live their lives. And for good or for ill, I am one of those people who, Gosh darn it, how I view the world is the right way to see things. Anyone else who disagrees with me, uh, you are wrong. But but I also believe that, oh, but if, if I could just talk to them for five minutes or, or ten minutes or uh, three hours when they can't escape, I, I'm sure I can convince them <laughs> to, to see my yeah. way of thinking. And it's the, the well-meaning... <laughs> I might get myself in a little bit of hot water with this, but I think there's a well-meaning sort of arrogance for someone to think that they have the authority to, you know, speak on behalf of God. So what you're saying is you think priests are self-righteous. <laughs> I don't, I feel like you think that's a bigger dig than it might be. <laughs> Listen, I try not, I, 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 I am very much making an effort not to impugn a uh, yeah. very well-meaning swath of the human populace. But yes, what I, what I like is that that is also very Father Ben. What you're doing yes. right now, which would yeah. be to like I be mean, very just, aware of this. We're summing and, like, up a lot. There, <laughs> yeah, there's it's great. There, I think there's a reason why I. I mean, if you want to get right down to it, the reason I probably connect well with Ben is because the way he was envisioned when you guys put him to paper just happens to be very much ways that I live my own life. And so if we're talking about inspiration for Ben, well, for good or for ill, uh, yeah, in a, it, it wouldn't be a far-flung alternate universe for me to have uh, followed in his footsteps, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's why this show works in a lot of ways, is that it's like everybody is bringing themselves into the show in a way that like is palpable when you hear you know when you hear it come together you know it's like we we you can feel it in there and i love it speaking uh speaking of bringing yourself into the show i think we now have a couple questions for you adam oh look at that (laughs) so the sound design and scoring of forgive me bring a lot of color to a series that might otherwise fall into the trap of being fairly one-dimensional conversations how do you decide when and how to use these tools when producing each episode? A lot of it is trying to decide 
like how we can punctuate certain moments. And I, th- I think when we first had the scripts, I had kind of intended it to be like more of, okay, two people sitting in one place. Let's make this show, frankly, like easier to produce than some of the other things that we've made, right? <laughs> but then, uh, you know, hearing it and bringing all of the pieces together, there was other things that we could potentially explore by bringing in some sort of diegetic sound or or things that people would hear in the situations that are being described, like, you know, Margaret going through the store and pushing the shopping cart, or just kind of punctuating some of the more emotional bits with music. The like first piece of music that I think I actually wrote for the show was when Tom is actually like at the end of the second episode, sort of Tom's little sort of, you know, kind of coming to grips with like, okay, like hearing Father Ben's sort of advice and the things that he needs to go do and sort of finding this sort of sentimental kind of music that we could use there to kind of like really bring that home. And then also one thing that we were sort of trying to almost like not fully dive into was, you know, getting into the prayers that they're saying at the end or sort of the things that they're sort of um, the, the, you know, the repetition and the ritual that might be normally in confession. So um, using music at the end of those was a way for us to kind of bridge the gap of of, um, not making people listen to 45 full seconds of praying. Yeah, but yeah. and it, it was, it's almost just like a, a way for us to kind of like let that reflection happen for the characters mm-hmm. rather than just where it may not be. Maybe like as relatable, you know, for people who may not be of, you know, this type of faith, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's it. And then, so, and the show also does have some pretty different feelings to it, where there's a lot of sort of heart and emotion and then zaniness. And just, I think I've kind of, I don't really, <laughs> there's not one necessary, like, uh, one specific, like, identity or sound identity for the show. An episode like Clara's episodes or, Steve's episode is like f- a full 180, you know, with like big orchestration um, to like match their over the top persona that maybe they see themselves as um, in some way compared to someone like, I don't know, Margaret, where we're getting this kind of like bouncy jaunty thing that's happening mm-hmm. um, or it it just kind of depends on the mood or the emotion we kind of float between these like bouncy types of feelings or these like very over the top you know kind of zany things yeah and you you also pull it back really well when it's like a really i think yeah. real emotional moment you you've you always do such a good job of balancing score um and sound design i think deftly for the big moments, but I think especially in our, like a Darla type episode where you really need to let the performance breathe a little bit. It's, I, I just, I, I adore the way that you sound design the show and score the show. So just wanted to make sure those heart episodes got a call out too. What were you going to say? 
Oh, uh, I don't even know now. <laughs> Thank you. I, appre- I, I appreciate that. Well, well, here's another question from Ella uh, Watts. Uh, Adam, did you ever record in an actual confession booth or go into one to consider the sound environment? I have wanted to so bad. <laughs> uh, like, the, to get extremely nerdy, all I want to do is go in there with a microphone and record an impulse response, which is like a way that you could basically like do like a clap or basically you pop a balloon. <laughs> you basically make a big noise and then you get like the, you capture the actual uh-huh. reverb of a sound. Cause it like, you're basically it recording like, the is it like, like white have... balancing for room tone. I, I don't know. Essentially. Yeah. That's huh. essentially what you're doing is like that's getting cool. these impulse responses. And like, all I want to do is go record one in an actual, like to get a proper church, sound like of the size that we're in and then a proper one for the confessional the confessional is something that is like this kind of claustrophobic type of sound for me where there is usually some kind of with intent some kind of dampening right to keep things private so i've thought a lot about it and wish that i could but have not yet (laughs) maybe one day Cool. I've got a I've got a question for for Casey here. Oh boy. Um, and that's you know, we we talk a lot about Ben's journey, but with with the general concept of the show, his story is often on the back burner because of the nature of the fact that other people are confessing to him. Um, how do you try to bring that emotional journey into those moments where he isn't the centerpiece of an episode? How do you try to access that part of that character and make sure that it's it's consistent and true to what you know he's going through, even if the audience doesn't? Well, you, you set me up to give a, a humdinger of an answer and just really, really talk about my my process and the art I bring to my craft. But uh, I got to tell you, Bob, much like Ben is still rather oblivious to uh, the journey he ought to be going through to the point where Clem does everything but push him through the door uh, in the final episode and Ben still doesn't see what's going on. Uh, Casey was similarly pretty oblivious to uh, Ben's emotional arc over the course uh, of the season thus far to the point where um, when we had my uh, first opportunity to step into the writer's room and you and Jack were talking about, uh, yeah, you know, this is the arc we see for season three and we will, we really want to build upon Ben's journey in two uh, and, you know, all these things he did. And I was sitting there, I was probably like not nodding, looking like I was sagely uh, absorbing all this information. And internally I was very much going, Oh crap, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that was great. That totally happened in season two, didn't it? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, wow, I should go listen to these episodes and see if I can pick up on that. Um, I love this answer. Uh, so I, I really wish, like, it speaks to perhaps, like, a bit why I, I'm lucky enough to have just audition for a role that I guess was more right for me, more right for me than I, they even realized. But Ben, Ben doesn't really doesn't, he, he is starting to see at the end of, at uh, end of season two that he needs to really start 
focusing less on fixing everyone else's problems and start figuring out what it is about himself uh, that he needs to fix. Uh, and fortunately for my my own apparent ignorance that he was he was just completely unaware that he he needed to like think about himself. And so Casey, the actor, very much unintentionally was following Ben's journey by not being aware of the journey he was on. I, I am very glad to say that thanks to where season two ended and what we've already talked about with season three, like both Kent, Casey and Ben are going to need to step up their game and really think about how the world is affecting us and how, and if we're going to talk about in actor terms, like how the script is affecting us and how, you know, don't, not being just content with with seeing the world as it comes at us, but really making sure we're taking time to understand what's you know what's being brought to us and what lessons we should be learning along the way. So, sorry for that uh, uh, rather uh, abrupt peek behind the curtain there, Bob. But that's oh, no, that's no. that's my truth, and now I've shared it with all of you. I, I, I go ahead, Adam. I was just gonna say I have to fight back just just a hair against some of it because you did I think you just did you asked like so many thoughtful questions when we like for, before we ever recorded you know you've understood and been inquisitive about Ben since the beginning and so I think like through the first season you approached so thoughtfully and even though it took us a while to kind of get to recording the second season like even if it wasn't inherently at like at the top of mind when you were recording, it was like you were already sort of embodying this character in a way that like felt truthful. So I just, I just had to put that out there. (laughs) I I also, I also want to say, I think like, you know, there, there's something to your point about like not necessarily seeing the growth in the macro in every moment being, and that being also very human. But I, I think you, one of the things that I, I love about you and one of the reasons I was really passionate about making sure you were Ben, honestly, when we, when we were auditioning folks was the micro. I think one of the things that really, when, when, we, when I think about like, why is Ben Casey? Why is Casey Ben? And why, why is there so much character for Ben in the episodes where Ben is, whether he's hanging on for dear life with Clara or, a little pissed off at Joe Walters, like how does that growth appear? And I think one of the things that I've always felt really strongly about with Ben is that Ben feels really strongly about like trying his best and like doing his best and being good and being right about <laughs> like being self-righteous a little bit. Right. And Ben, I think even in the finale of season one calls himself out for that a bit. You've always asked about that. You've always pushed on that. And you've always made sure that in the moment you were right tonally for who Ben is. So even if you didn't, you don't see or recognize like macro growth, I think in a way as an actor, you're doing a a phenomenal job by just making sure your tone perfect for who Ben is in that moment. And I even remember early season two, you really wanting to make sure that you were right on the money about 
like who Ben was in that moment and really framing on that for the start of that season. So yeah, I, I think, I think what you're saying is really honest and cool and like interesting (laughs) to hear, but I think also like, don't, don't make it sound like you're like, you're not far away from who Ben is. I think from an, like when you try to wrap like your, your head is wrapped around him. It's just always wrapped around on who he is today, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. I I, I appreciate the self deprecation, but I I also don't want you to discount the the incredible work that you have put in across the whole series. And I I do think that that makes sense. You know, especially because of the way that we produce. You know, we're not recording chronologically. We're we're recording based off everybody's availability, and we're kind of doing things all over the place. And so I understand the desire to sort of center yourself in the moment of what we're working on each day. But yeah, you have such a deft approach when you think about, you know, sometimes lines could be three or four words long, but we'll have full on discussions about, you know, why are we choosing these words? Um, mm-hmm. why, why is Ben saying this thing? And, uh, I think you're really keyed into that and we really appreciate that. And like, I'll even say specifically into like the Christmas episode of season two, I'll think on that as well. That was a real new experience for all of us. We were trying to create a homily. We were trying to put Ben actually up on the pulpit in front of everyone, Jack, touched on this really beautiful and really funny idea, but you put so much of yourself into improving that and expanding upon that and teasing it out uh, that that touched so much on what was that season-long growth that we we wouldn't have gotten that just from the words. So I, I don't want you to uh, discount the work that you're doing here as well because it's incredible work and I really appreciate you a lot. Absolutely. Well, thank thank you all so so much. I I, I think it's every uh, actor's dream. Like I, I wouldn't be saying this if you guys hadn't said it earlier. But I think it's every actor's dream to get to portray a character that that actor has helped inspire. And you guys have been kind enough to say that what I brought to it in season one has helped you find its voice. And I think I don't know. It feels like we. You know, we may have drifted away from our, our belief in a higher power, but it, sometimes it really does feel like something brought us all together because I don't know, baby. Yeah. When when I get to put on Ben's vestments, metaphorically speaking, it, it they, they really feel they fit. I mean, I'm making a joke, but they it, they just feel so comfortable. Like, I love playing Ben. I, I feel like I have a lot in common with him. And that's probably why I got cast, because you guys sent something in me that that was very true to Ben. And I think, I don't know, that's why we've been able to make two great seasons so far and are excited to do more. Well, thank you everybody for hanging out. And if you're watching this, we, we love you and appreciate you on Patreon. Thank you so much. Um, and we are, we've got a lot more in store for you. Um, we've even got some sort of new episodes that are going to come out that are even before season three. So, uh, enjoy. We hope you enjoy those and just thank you so much. And uh, thanks for the questions. Thanks for hanging out. We love you. Yeah, we, we could not do this without your love and support. We really, really appreciate you. This is this is incredible. You're who we do it for. You make it worth mm-hmm. it. And, and we just can't thank you enough. Completely. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Edgar said to the interviewer he was convinced that the thing out there was in a vault. Yeah, I know what he thought. Dr. Edgar's didn't think it was designed to keep things out. I know what he he thought. He thought it was designed to keep something in. Do you even understand the difficulty trying to keep a base like Fathom at the bottom of the ocean from killing everyone in it on a daily basis? Oh my god. Everyone hold on to something. I think whatever is on the other side of that door out there, it's not friendly. I think it's trying to get out. That, my friend, is a dire combination. That's a bad sign. Get out of the door! It's spreading like some kind of technological contagion. We can either stop it here or watch the world burn. Fathom, the first season of Derelict. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Or learn more at derelictpodcast.com.